So my mum and dad became Christians when I was about eight or nine years old. They were completely unchurched. And dad had this dramatic kind of breakthrough with his back and his healing and stuff. And, and so um, they started going along to a church and I was, I was young and I got, I soon got into it. And it was a big church and it was thriving and I was part of the youth. And then I kind of started to drift away at the age of about 14, 15 years old. And, um, and then a few years later, I found myself believing in God, but feeling that, that, what he had to offer wasn't for me at that time. And um, I'm going to try and choose my words carefully because of uh, slightly younger ears, but I, um, I basically felt myself uh, getting less and less involved in, in, in God and in church uh, to the point where when I was uh, 19, um, I just kind of like had fallen away. I was in an, a compromised relationship and... I was desperately unhappy, uh, but I kept on going down this route because I felt like actually it was the path that was set before me and I couldn't see any way off that path. And I just felt utterly compromised and, and lost and empty. And I tried filling that emptiness with a number of different things. And I wasn't like, I wasn't like massively off track, but, but I was because I was, I was moving in a direction away from Jesus. And long story short, I was planning to go uh, traveling around the world for a year or so, surfing with my friend, and a few things happened that, um, that stopped me going at that time, including uh, an assault, and I had six teeth knocked out, and um, the guy that did it got three years for it, and it put everything back, back a while, and, and so I, was, I found myself... Um, in Australia without any front teeth <laughs> and uh, I was I before I'd gone my brother and sister-in-law had thrown this party for me and at the party she had given me she worked for a greeting card company she she's one of those people that has a greeting card for every occasion and so she gave me this kind of bon voyage greeting card and in it she wrote Psalm 139 and she didn't write the text of Psalm 139 she just wrote have an amazing time, we love you, we're praying for you, Psalm 139. And I didn't know what Psalm 139, I knew what the Psalms were, but I didn't know what was in Psalm 139. And I, I appreciated the sentiment, but I didn't really take to heart what the message was in Psalm 139. And um, so I thanked them, and then I was off in Australia, and what was supposed to be the time of my life actually was quite lonely. Um, the friend I'd gone travelling with He'd gone on ahead of me because of the surgery I needed to have on my teeth and everything. So by the time I got to Australia, I was in Manly near Sydney. By the time I got there, he was plugged into the travelling kind of community, the, the backpacker community. He had a job, he had some mates, um, he had a place to stay. And so I was, I was there and whilst we were mates, he had a job and he had this lifestyle and he had this community wrapped around him. And I was... I'd left my girlfriend, I'd left mum and dad, I had no front teeth, everything was kind of a little bit haywood, haywire in my life. And I just was, I was really lost and lonely. And I wasn't, wasn't actively pursuing God, but I was looking for meaning and reason and happiness and fulfilment. And I went through, I was living in this kind of squat near Manly, and I remember there was a pigeon that used to come and visit me every day and fly around. <laughs> and... Um, it was, it was a really depressing place and 
I remember going through my bag and bearing in mind I had my surfboard and I had my backpack and I was trying to travel light. My mum had snuck a Gideon's Bible into my backpack and I, I appreciated the sentiment but I felt like it was ballast. <laughs> it, was, it was something that I didn't need weighing down my bag and um, I opened it up and it was a New Testament of Psalms and I opened it up and I opened it up directly on the page of Psalm 139. And I was thinking, oh, that's weird. That's what Liam and Ali wrote for me. And I started to read it. And it talks about, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. And about God's pursuit of us. And I'd never heard that story before. I'd always, the story I heard was always, you've got to do this, this, and this in order to be accepted by God. The story I'd heard was, was you, need to, you need to be good you need to be right, you need to be different in order to be loved. And, and I don't think that's what was preached, but that's what, what I, was, I heard. And I remember reading this and thinking, that feels, that feels utterly different. God pursuing me feels, it feels wrong. It feels, if he's God, how can he pursue me? It's like, it didn't, didn't feel right. And so anyway, I, I was trying to process this stuff and, and I did what I needed to do, which was go and get a beer and <laughs> then go for a surf and maybe go get a burger or something and, and try and just push this stuff out of my mind because I felt like I was making stuff up. And, and a day or so later, I just found myself drawn to this church in Manly. It's called St. Matthew's. And, and I just, you know, the last place I wanted to be, not because I was angry with God, but I felt that he was irrelevant for me. The last place I went to be was church. And I just found myself drawn in this little Anglican church in the middle of Manly. And I sat at the back and the pastor got, got up and he looked a bit like the crocodile hunter. And he was classic Aussie and I won't try and do his accent, but he, he came up and he was like, oh, good day. You know, today I'm gonna to preach on Psalm 139. <laughs> and honestly, I don't remember anything else after that moment in that service, but I remember f feeling this, this flood of, of heat and emotion and kind of like, God, I think, I think this is real. I think, I think this is you pursuing me. And from that moment onward, everywhere I went, um, everywhere I went, I bumped into people that didn't talk about what you needed to do in order to be loved by God, but I met people that demonstrated the love of God by the way they behaved and the way they loved and the way they included and the way they were just non-judgmental. And, and really that was the beginning of a journey of coming back to fellowship with the Father and, and just it was it was utterly different to what I'd done before. I'd been baptised at the age of 12. I know I'd had an encounter with God when I was 12 years old. I knew that I, I loved Jesus. I, I remember having pictures from him. and I remember scriptures meaning stuff, but I always felt like it was something I had to do and I had to be in order to be accepted by him. And maybe that was just like adolescence. Maybe that was, I don't know what, but, but this was utterly new for me, this idea that he was reaching out to me. And I was in this place where I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't doing anything to attract his attention. And he reached out into, into that, in that place of pain and loss and loneliness. 
and all the insecurities of not having any front teeth and everything else that was going on in my life at the time. And I, I think the reason I wanted to share that story is because I feel Esther and I have been leading church, not as long as these guys have, but we've been leading the church for a few years now. And I feel that the further we get from that moment where we know who Jesus is, sometimes we feel that the less grace means is, is relevant to us, if that makes sense. I think sometimes our understanding is that grace is for those outside the church and outside the kingdom and outside the relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't apply to those who are doing all they can to try and pursue him however they can. And I felt God really put on my heart this message today about his pursuit of us. And there's a couple of scriptures that um, I found as I was doing this that really were just like <coughs> speaking to my heart. Um, but the, I've put down here, the foundation of our faith is not meant to be built on our works or our understanding, but rather on God's relentless pursuit of us. His relentless pursuit. And I think it's a daily pursuit. I think he pursues you and me, wherever we are, daily, with this love and this grace and this mercy every day to come back into his heart, to come back into his presence, to come back into, into that place of, as you were saying earlier, to knowing who he is in that moment. And we have relationship with God, and we know this, we have relationship with God not because we sought him, but because he sought us, he invites us, he, he calls us, he initiates, he initiates that relationship and that that intimacy and that connection. It's his initiation and we just respond to it if we want to. Faith built on anything else but God's but sorry, faith built on anything else but God's pursuit is faith built on our own strength. And folks, I've I've tried, I'm sure many of us have tried over the years to to be right with God in our own strength. You know, to I think I would have been a really good Pharisee. I think, I think, you know, it's so much easier in some ways to, to, to tick some boxes than it is to rely on relationship and this scandalous concept of grace. And I've come to realize actually, I, it doesn't get me that far. <laughs> I get tired, I get weak, I get disillusioned and and his grace is, is being poured out daily for me and for you, for us. It's a, daily, it's a daily portion of grace. Ephesians 1, 16 to 18 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then this bit here really struck me. Having the, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So my prayer is for us that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That the eyes of our hearts would see his love for us today. That we wouldn't be feasting on the grace that we first knew, perhaps for some of us decades ago, but we'd be feasting on his grace 
today, his love for us today, his pursuit for you and me today. More than he wants you to do something for him today, he simply wants you to know he is with you and he's for you. His grace is with us and his grace is for us today, regardless of where we are. Psalm 23, which many of us know, I'm sure. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I love that idea of, of his beauty and his love chasing after us every day of our lives. This relentless pursuit of his love for, for you and me. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And then two Old Testament stories that have been resonating around my head last few days as I've been thinking about coming and being with you guys is uh, the story of Noah after everything had happened with the flood and then he went and had a vineyard didn't he and then he drank too much wine he was drunk and Ham saw him naked and then um, his other sons Shem and Japheth they they come in and they walk backwards and and I, I just that picture of grace that grace for Noah in that moment, that picture of dignity, that picture of love, that picture of grace of them walking backwards, is I just see the father in that, in that, in that grace chasing after Noah, that, that moment where he might feel like he'd let himself down, he probably did, but that, that pursuit of him, that love, of the father, the way those boys did that, I think it's so beautiful. And then the story of Hosea, and just to read you um, Hosea 3, 1 to 3. Then God ordered me, and this is, this is like so scandalous, this is so, this is so ridiculous, yet so beautiful and so profound. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't read Hosea recently, to go, go back and read it. Uh, just a relentless pursuit of God. God ordered me, start all over, love your wife again. Your wife who's been in bed with the latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. I won't go on to read it because of some of the language, but that's from the message translation. But that relentless pursuit, that love, that outpouring, that, that scandalous grace is for us every day. Every day. And it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it's how it should be. But it's how he chooses. It's how he chooses because he knows Well, he knows what we're like. He knows what he's like. 
and he knows that we often try and earn favour or fulfilment or his attention and yet he says none of that's important I love you because I love you I love you because I've chosen you I pursue you This is my prayer for us, is that we would rest in his grace. We would feast on his grace. And that's not a liberation or a license to just do whatever we want. We know that, don't we? But, and I think this is sometimes the message that the church doesn't always articulate, or certainly my upbringing was that what we do can affect the way he loves us and I just don't think that's the truth and a picture I had for a dear friend of mine who'd been struggling with anxiety for years and years the picture I think of the kingdom is that Jesus is standing there with an umbrella and it's absolutely hammering down with rain and he's saying come and stand next to me and I'll shelter you And if you stand next to me, you won't get wet and you won't get cold and you won't get a cold. And it's a good place to be. It's it's a nice place to be. But if you choose to stand out in the rain, I'll still love you. I'll still adore you out in that place. But standing here close to me is a really good place. His love isn't different whether we're by him or out in the rain. His love, his love isn't affected. But the grace, the grace is come and stand next to me and enjoy my presence. So can we pray? Is that... God of grace, I thank you for your presence. Lord, I'm quite sure that I've not said anything that we haven't all heard before. But Father, I pray that we would be people of grace. That we would firstly know what it is to be saved by grace. And that we would know what it is, Lord, to live in your grace daily. The scandal of grace, Lord. I pray, Father, for anyone here this afternoon that's, that's just tired. That's feeling worn out. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you 
remind us of that first love, that first, that, that first realisation of your pursuit. Pray that we would be mindful, we would remember, we would see where you've chased after us, Lord. And I thank you that you continue to chase after us. And I think about the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus taught in Luke, about the lost sheep being Jesus leaving, or the shepherd leaving the 99 to go and get the one. And that feels like scandalous and that feels like um, wastefulness. But actually, it's, it's the shepherd pursuing the one which gives the confidence to the 99. Because they know that he would do the same for them. And I thank you that that's the picture of the kingdom. That you wander relentlessly looking for that lost sheep. And you come and bring that sheep back. And Father, that's been me and I'm sure it's been many of us and we thank you for that picture Lord we thank you that that's the kingdom we thank you that you are a good good father and so I pray, pray you'd help us to rest in your grace knowing that it's all about you Lord and it's got nothing to do with us Pray your blessing on each one of us, Lord.